Welcome back to another edition of the Duke Basketball Report podcast. We are recording on the morning of Sunday, January 4th. It's 2015. It's our first episode of the new year. Uh, so, welcome. I am your host this week, Sam Klein. You can find some of my musings over on the Duke Basketball Report forums under the username Dev11. I'm joined this week by our regular crew, Donald Wine. Hey, how's it going, guys? Happy New Year. Hey, and Jason Evans. Hello, hello. Uh, so good morning, guys. We'll start this morning uh, with a bit of sad news. We found out not long ago that um, longtime ESPN anchor and uh, big-time UNC uh, basketball fan Stuart Scott passed away. Um, he had been battling cancer for a number of years. Uh, so I just wanted to let you guys talk about him if you had any, any thoughts about Stuart Scott. Yeah, let me let me start. Uh, I um, I actually had a chance to meet Stuart Scott um, several years ago. I was very fortunate. I was covering the Super Bowl for CNN, um, and Stuart Scott was there covering it for ESPN. And one evening, we happened to be in the same bar, and we happened to have a couple beers together, and we talked ACC basketball. He was very very passionate about his love of UNC and uh, and his admiration for the ACC in general um, and for Duke. Um, even though often uh, on the air, you know, it, it came across as him being a UNC homer, um, uh, you know, which was something that sometimes some of us uh, were bothered a little bit by that during a regular sports cast. Um, he, he had great admiration for Coach K and for Duke basketball and, and for the entire ACC. He was a tremendously passionate um, sports fan, and he brought that passion on the air in an informal kind of way that um, really revolutionary. Uh, I, I admire ESPN for letting him be who he was, um, and I admire him for having the courage to do the things he did on television. Um, uh, it, he's unquestionably going to be missed, uh, and uh, you know this was a guy who he he fought cancer so courageously, so bravely for such a long time. Um, I think this was his third bout with cancer. And, uh, and it was the one that got him. He beat it twice in the third round. Third time, he, he, he just didn't quite have enough. He leaves behind two, two daughters and a wife. And he's, uh, he's just an amazing, important figure in sports um, uh, and in our appreciation of sports. And, and he will be missed very, very much. Yeah, and I'd like to echo uh, what Jason said and, and add that, uh, you know, Stu spoke the way that, you know, I would speak with my friends about about sports. You know, when you're calling a game, you you use lines like you know "booyah" and and "cool is the other side of pillow" and other uh, random phrases to describe what you were seeing and what what the game uh, what the game was was presenting to you. And he kind of brought that to the world, and and it was you know one of those things that it opened people's eyes to a world where sports wasn't just about playing the game; it was about living the game and telling the game. Um, and he, you know, later on in life, he was very close with one of my good friends, Gloria Borges, who, uh, passed away, uh, from cancer, um, actually almost a year ago, a year ago on January 5th. And, uh, they both became very close in their fights, um, with cancer. And, um, I, I think it's just, it's just a sad day for sports. It's a sad day for the ACC. Um, it's a sad day for UNC. He was a proud UNC grad. And while, you know, we, we could, uh, we didn't have to respect their team. Um, and we could disagree on, uh, on, on his choice of uh, basketball team and his choice of school and joke about it. But uh, in the end, you could not disagree with Stuart Scott, the man. He was a battler. He was a fighter. And he, you know, really made sports cool. Um, and so uh, rest in peace, Stu. Um, he was a great, great uh, person for 
the the game just the the game uh whatever game that you call the game um Stuart Scott was the man and he will sorely be missed yeah and I'll I'll just add that um growing up in the 90s Stuart Scott was I would say one of the key voices of sports to kids my age and I saw a comment um a little bit ago that said that nobody you know about my age would have been playing baseball in the backyard or basketball and not doing the commentary as if they were Stuart Scott on SportsCenter. Uh, I mean, he was he was everywhere for for kids my age. Uh, so yeah, obviously he will uh, he will be missed in the sports community. Um, from everything I've read about him, he's he's a stand, he was a stand up guy. And um, so yeah, rest in peace, Stuart Scott. Let, let me let me add one more thing, Donald. I know you'll appreciate this. You're a huge sports fan. Sort of one of my last lasting images of Stuart Scott was the great Nike Neymar Welcome to the Jungle um, video commercial that was done right before the World Cup. And Stuart Scott is in that. He he walks off an elevator, and on his top half he's dressed as a sports anchor, and on his bottom half he's wearing you know soccer shorts and and shin guards and stuff like that. It was a great image, and and it speaks to how powerful and important Stuart Scott was that um, when Nike was putting together this amazing commercial, uh, viral video, whatever you want to call it, um, uh, that, that was full of big stars. I mean, LeBron was in it. They had all kinds of big soccer stars in it. Sort of the one non-sports personality, non-athlete personality that they picked was Stuart Scott. And it was just him on his way to the anchor desk but, you know, representing a he loved soccer on his bottom half while his top half looked like an anchor. And it was, you know, I think that sort of speaks to the kind of kind of guy that Stuart Scott was. Here, here. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, great. Thanks, Jason. Um, so let's move on. Uh, we'll, we'll dive right into Duke basketball. Uh, Duke uh, finished this week with three victories over Toledo, Wofford, and BC. Uh, Boston College was our first ATC game of the year. Um, Ken Palm has all those teams kind of ranked sort of in the bottom of where the ACC would be. Um, Toledo and Wofford certainly have enough talent that they could be winning their conferences and, and getting to the NCAA tournament this year. Um, I'll start with Donald. What did you see this week that you liked from Duke? Uh, you know, I, I, I just want to make a note that I, you know, I really thought that Julio Okafor could have played a lot better. I mean, he only, uh, he only scored 27 points against Toledo, 24 against Wofford, and 28 against Boston College. And I really think he could have scored 50 uh, against all those teams. He just, you know, just did not have a good week at all. Um, but uh, all, all sarcasm aside, I think, you know, Okafer and Cook had tremendous weeks. And, you know, I think we saw Wins uh, Justice Winslow bounce back a little bit, um, which uh, is great to see. He had a couple of uh, power, power dunks against Boston College that um, I felt for not only his hand, but also the rim uh, for taking so much damage in one uh, shot. But, um, uh, I, I think the team did really well. I think um, I think Tyus didn't have as good a week as we've come to expect from him so far this season, but you couldn't tell that by uh, – you could only tell that from his stats. On the floor, he looked like he was really part of the flow of the offense and was really working uh, to get everybody else involved. And while his, his stats may reflect a, a poor week, um, I don't think he really had a poor week. I think he just kind of had one of those – uh, uh, off weeks where you don't shoot the ball well, but he was very active on defense and, and getting the ball worked around on the offensive end of the floor as well. So I think the team did really well, um, and I was liking what I saw with three games in five days. Uh, Jason, what do, you, what do you think you saw? Well, I, I agree that um, 
Jalil Okafor could have played better. I mean, he was only 30 of 39 from the field. How could he miss nine shots all week? That was just awful. Terrible. Uh, yeah. So the guy shot 77% from the field. And, you know, the thing I take away, I, I loved watching him against Wofford. Um, that was the game where he went 11 for 13 from the field. And uh, his ability to get his feet in position where he can make a move, to square his shoulders, to finish equally well with the right and the left hand, um, it's just something you don't see from big men who haven't turned 20. It, it, it's unheard of. Uh, everyone keeps on saying that he's the most skilled big man in college basketball since Tim Duncan. That's a fallacy. He's the most skilled big man since Tim Duncan as a senior, maybe, but he's a freshman. When Tim Duncan was a freshman, Tim Duncan wasn't even in the ballpark with this kid. J- Jalil Okafor, his ability to score in a variety of ways around the basket. You've got to send multiple guys at him. He he does a beautiful job of getting rid of the ball if you double or triple team him. Um, it's, it is a pleasure to watch. I've been telling my sons to watch him play because I think that everyone who plays basketball could learn something from watching this kid. Um, I love the way he uses the bank shot against against Wofford. I need to go back and watch the tape, but my bet is nine of his 11 made shots were bank shots um, basically, he either takes a dunk or he makes sure that the ball hits the little white square behind the, you know, behind the basket. And if you hit that white square, boy, the ball tends to go in the basket a heck of a lot of the time. Actually, seventy-seven percent of the time, um, it, it, he's incredible. And, and look, we can talk about all, a lot of other guys for Duke, and other guys had really good weeks, but but he's on a different level. Uh, the reason Duke is, you know, number one, number two in the land is because of this player. Uh, Jalil Okafor is, we, uh, you know, I, I guess maybe, maybe uh, Elton Brand or Carlos Boozer. I mean, we haven't had a big man like this in so long. It's it's fun to watch. There is one other guy I want to talk about who I thought had a really nice week, and that was Matt Jones, um, who really is starting to to play more under control. Uh, he played about twenty minutes a game in all three of the games this week. I think he's gotten enough of Coach K's confidence that he's going to be a regular in the rotation when we get to some closer games. Um, his D and his length out there are really valuable, especially because um, I'm getting the feeling that K uh, wants to go a little bit smaller. He wants to play three guards with Justice Winslow at the power forward and Julia Locafor anchoring the middle. Um, uh, you know, I don't want to take anything away from Jefferson, who's a very good, very valuable player and, and played well this week as well. But I really feel like, you know, it's sort of Kay's inclination. He wants to play more pressure defense. And to do that, he needs to be a little smaller and a little bit quicker. Um, and I think Matt Jones is one of the guys who's going to be a part of that rotation of guards on the perimeter. And, and I'm not sure we necessarily expected that um, uh, in the preseason. And one last thing, Sam, do you remember what was our yeah. over-under on Dennis Clifford's minutes last week? Last week, you, you're the one who said, what's the over-under and how many minutes Dennis Clifford will play? I think we said, I think we had 25 or 27, something like that. He only yeah. played 17 minutes. Dennis Clifford, 17 wow. minutes fouled out. And that's what Jalil Okafor is going to do to a lot of big men who try and defend him, you're going to foul out because you can't stop him conventionally. You're going to try and get in his way. He's going to make a move. You're going to pick up fouls. Uh, amazing week. Amazing week for Duke. And, and on, on top of that about Okafor, I think the thing that I really like seeing is that no matter where he gets the ball, he seems to get himself so quickly into a position to either shoot a good shot for him or pass it um, to an open guy. Uh, 
even even if he's getting you know pushed off the block, I think a couple times um, against Boston College, he got forced maybe a few feet away from where he'd like to be, but he always makes a good move. Um, so and that's yeah, the that's, fo- been, that's the footwork. Yeah. That that is that is the really advanced footwork that he has, knowing how to shift his weight. Um, uh, I, I swear, every every kid who aspires to play basketball in the post should watch this guy play. And then we also, I think earlier in the week, um, people were starting to worry. And, we, you know, we've been hearing this kind of all season, that Oak Four isn't that good at making free throws. And then what does he do against Boston College? He comes out and makes his first seven in a row and looks great doing it. I mean, I, you know, if, if teams feel like even when they foul him, he's still going to score two points, man, he is, he is just such a tough guy to defend um, and is making everybody on offense better. Uh, and I agree, he totally should have been scoring 30 points against all of these teams. Um, I so yeah, I I totally agree about Okafor. He's been he's been incredible. Um, Jason, you mentioned that he seems like he's the best freshman you've ever seen. Uh, Jay Phillips tweeted out this morning that without question, he's the best freshman big man that has ever played ACC basketball. Um, and Jay Phillips would know he was a freshman big man in ACC basketball <laughs> once upon a time. Um, although he's quick to remind everybody that he wasn't quite as good as Jolly Okafor. Um, the uh, there was one thing. Yeah, Jay Jay would remember. You know, guys like Ralph Sampson, who was who right. was you know around Jay's era, um, you know, and and those are the kind of guys that we're hearkening back to uh, with Jaleel Okafor. And, and to me, one big difference between him and a lot of the other great fives, great centers that we've seen in the college game, most of the other college guys started out as shot blockers. Think about Hakeem Olajuwon, just last year, Joel Embiid, um, you know, the, the guys who go on to be number one picks in the draft, they most started out as shot blockers who later developed the offensive game. I mean, you know, look in the NBA today, Dwight Howard, um, who, who many people probably say is the best center in the NBA, it really doesn't have much of an offensive game in terms of making moves. That's the thing that separates Okafor from all the rest, separates him from from other big men that I've seen in my 40-plus years of watching basketball. His offensive skills, his footwork, his ability to put the ball on the floor and, and make things happen, um, I've just never seen it from a kid this age. It's unheard of. Um, I, so switching gears a little bit, I did want to point out a couple of things that I think are starting to look like um, – maybe negative spots for the team, uh, especially against Boston College. It seemed like on transition we just get really lost on defense and are missing guys all over the place. They're getting to the rim. They were uh, getting to the three-point line. Did you guys notice any of that, or and, and does it concern you? Yeah, I, I actually noticed that I, was, I, I happened to be able to uh, go to Cameron for the game against Toledo uh, last Monday, um, and there was, a, there was a couple of uh, defensive lapses, and these lapses lasted for – a few minutes, and it was kind of concerning that the words uh, Vermont defense were being thrown around uh, Cameron um, during the game, um, but it was almost immediately dis- dismissed as, oh, you know, they've had an 11-day layoff, they haven't played, the- these struggles are going to happen. Um, but uh, it is concerning to have those defensive lapses because, yes, we can do that against Wofford and against Boston College and, and Toledo, but if we do that against Louisville, they're going to expose us. If they do it against Virginia, they're going to expose us. And so those are concerning only because we want to see those uh, at a very, very, very minimum um, once we get to those big games. Well, I've got two responses to that. Um, Yes, obviously we want to see the team um, playing a little bit better defense, Uh, you know, although it's not like we were giving up 90 plus points 
to any of our opponents this week. Um, but uh, two things, and, and the first one is I hearken back to something Laura Keeley said when we spoke with her a couple of weeks ago. She pointed out the rim protection um, against BC. Okafor had four blocks. Winslow had two. Marshall Plumley had four block shots in 10 minutes of play. Uh, I think that rim protection, which this Duke team unquestionably has, um, changes the calculus a little bit. We did not have rim protection last year. Um, Jabari Parker, Rodney Hood were not going to get up and block a lot of shots. Um, you know, that, don't mean to criticize them. It's just sort of not who they were. Uh, and rim protection gives you the ability to, to, to you know, be a little bit better on defense, be a little more gambling on defense. But then the other thing I want to point out, like you said, you know, oh, Louisville's going to be trouble for you if you if you do that. As I look around the rest of college basketball and I look around the rest of the ACC, there are not a lot of teams who both can play defense in a way that can slow Duke down because Duke is an unbelievably good offensive team and also play good offense. You mentioned Louisville. Louisville's a terrible offensive team. They're not going to score a lot. They they have to work really hard to score in the half court. Um, they need to turn you over and get lots of offensive rebounds and things like that, which are not things that Duke seems to struggle with very much. So, you know, as I look around college basketball, I don't see a lot of teams that are going to be able to put together both ends of the of the game, uh, both the offensive and defensive end, to to challenge Duke a lot. Now, unfortunately. I think a couple of them reside in the ACC. I think, unquestionably, Virginia is one of them. Uh, and I think, unfortunately, UNC might be one of them. But there just aren't that many teams that are able to do it on a consistent kind of basis. Um, and, and so I, I don't know that we're going to have that many troubles this year. But maybe that's me being really, really optimistic and wearing my Duke blue blinders. Which is fine. Um, we certainly put them on. We all put them on from time to time. Uh, so. Uh, Enough about last week. Let's move on uh, to the games this week. We've got two games uh, coming up. The first one is at Wake Forest. Um, did a little research scouting on Wake Forest, what have you, this week. So uh, I'm going to be providing the introduction for them this week. Um, Wake Forest, obviously, this year is coached by uh, a new head coach, Danny Manning. Um, he replaces um, he replaces Jeff Bezdelic, who uh, I would say had a tumultuous uh, tenure as the head coach at Wake Forest. Uh, Danny Manning comes from the head coaching job at Tulsa. He obviously was a notable player for Kansas um, back in the 80s and had been an assistant at Kansas. I would say that in, in maybe some of the same way that Duke looks at guys like Johnny Dawkins and Chris Collins being maybe the eventual successor to Coach K, I would guess that a lot of Kansas fans see hopefully Danny Manning as being, as being a guy who's a viable head coaching candidate whenever Bill Self decides that he's done coaching Kansas basketball. But for the meantime... Um, Danny Manning is, is in North Carolina. He's coaching at Wake Forest. Um, and this year, the expectations for them were very low. Um, they haven't really put any good wins together. Uh, and they've got one really bad loss against Delaware State, who's ranked 240th in Ken Palm. Um, Wake Forest themselves at this point is only 122. They have uh, their second ACC game this week against Louisville. They lost their first one um, against NC State. Uh, their, the Louisville game is this afternoon, so we won't. We, we don't know what happened in that game um, for this podcast. Uh, but so the main guys for Wake Forest, uh, they return junior guard Cody Miller-McIntyre, who we've seen the last couple of years. He's a pretty versatile guy. He can, he can score um, sort of all over the floor. He's been scoring recently very well from outside. Uh, he's a really fun um, sort of lead guard to watch. And then their inside presence is Devin Thomas. He's also a junior, 6'9", 245, big guy. Uh, 
he'll probably get matched up against Okafor. Um, and the way we see Okafor deal with uh, with you know opposing centers who aren't quite as big as he is has been has been pretty incredible. So um, look for him to try to get inside against Devin Thomas really quick. Um, the one interesting player, or there's two other interesting players that I wanted to point out um, for Wake Forest that I that I noticed watching them. Um, both new guys. One uh, is a is a freshman from Greece. His name is Konstantinos uh, Mitoglou. Um, he's 6'10", but he loves shooting outside shots. Um, he's averaging eight points and five rebounds a game. Um, looks really fluid in their offense, um, although their offense isn't isn't the greatest in the ACC. Um, he can kind of score. And then they've also got uh, a freshman shooter named Mitchell Wilbekin, who, uh, whose name might ring a bell because his older brother is Scotty Wilbekin, um, who was the SEC Player of the Year last year for Florida. Um, so far this year, he's shooting 44% from three. Uh, he did deal with, with an undisclosed NCAA violation earlier this season, had to miss three games. Um, looking around, it's not clear at all what it was, although it started at the end of second semester, so may have been related to that somehow. Uh, I'm not sure. But, uh, so Wake Forest has, has some pieces. Um, all, I mean, none of these guys are going to leave for the NBA next year. So, you know, I think that a year together might, might you know, have them gel a little bit better. For now, they're a, they're a bad ACC team um, with, with a little bit of talent. They've got a lot of rebounding and a lot of defense. Um, they're like top 15 Ken Palm in defense. Um, they have a number of guys who are averaging you know, a good number of rebounds a game. Devin Thomas, their leading rebounder, is averaging 9.6. I mentioned Medical is averaging five rebounds. Their lead guard, Miller McIntyre, is averaging almost four rebounds a game. So um, they're going to be banging in the post, uh, but I don't see a way that they're just going to be able to score enough to keep up with us. Um, have either of you guys gotten to see Wake Forest this year? I have not. Uh, I haven't, uh, anything. I haven't, I haven't got a chance to see them this year, but uh, um, just basing, you know, based on their usual – you know, games, they're always going to view us as their biggest game of the season. So uh, I expect a tough test from them no matter what their record is. Sure. You know, the, the thing I want to add about them is uh, they have the um, unfortunate task of playing Louisville later today, tonight. Um, and uh, I, I love playing teams the game after they had a, a really physical opponent. Louisville is the epitome of a physical opponent. Um, you talk about how Wake likes to, you know, play inside a little bit. Louisville will pound and beat you into submission on the inside. <laughs> and um, I look forward to the fact that Louisville will probably beat Wake into submission, and then Wake may, you know, be a little banged up and, and gun shy coming into um, the next game uh, against Duke. Um, look, as you look at, at Wake's record and what they've done thus far this season. Uh, you didn't even mention they lost to Iona. I mean, Iona's not terrible. They're top 100, but they lost a, a home game to Iona. Uh, they're, they're clearly not the kind of caliber team that if Duke plays even a marginal game that we should you know, really be threatened by all that much. Um, they're, they're at the very bottom of the ACC. It's going to take... It's going to take a few years for them to, to get a roster that can compete with the top tier of the conference, I think. Um, uh, you know, you don't want to be so bold as to say, oh, if we just show up, because um, you, you, you never, you know, never want to go there. But uh, it, it would take an extraordinarily bad game, I think, certainly the worst game Duke's played all year, for, for this to even be a competitive contest. Certainly. Um, and uh, so that's the midweek game this week. Um, Looking ahead to next weekend, um, we've got a Sunday match, also a road game, 
Also in the state, um, we're playing in Raleigh against NC State. We heard a little bit about them last week from our friend Justin Parisi, um, but I wanted to throw it over to Donald um, sort of for the official preview for NC State this week. Um, what have you seen about them? What do you, what do you think about, about the way we match up with State? Well, I think we match up pretty well with NC State. They, uh, they have a couple of good scores in Trevor Lacey, Ralston Turner, and Anthony Barber. Um, Trevor Lacey being kind of the guy who's been pacing them this season with 17.2 points a game. He's, I believe, third in the ACC behind uh, Jerry and Grant and Julia Okafer. Um, but they also um, are very, very tough. They're just a tough team. And while their record... Um, they have a couple of uh, bad losses. Uh, well, really one bad loss to Wofford, um, who we played uh, on Wednesday. Um, but they have beaten teams like Tennessee, who is a really tough SEC team. They just, you know, they fought tough with West Virginia till the very end. Um, and they beat Pitt uh, uh, just yesterday. So um, they're actually 2-0 and and leading the ACC. If you look at records, um, they are tied for first. But uh, I think that they are a team that, um, we can cover. Um, they shoot 46% from the field um, and they shoot 36% from the three, um, but they're not really a good shooting team. They do put some points on the board, but they're not going to be the team that really uh, gets hot and streaky um, and, and, and shoot us out of a game. So uh, it's gonna, really going to rely on, um, on Jalil Okafer and Tyus Jones really pace in the offense. And I think that's something that we can do. Um, Ken Pomeroy has them at 58 and he does not think too highly of their strength of schedule at, at winners where it's placed at 210. But I do think that one of the keys for this game is that the, uh, NC state plays UVA on Wednesday night. So they have a murderer's row schedule this week. How, how, how tired will they be from that effort against us? We don't know, but again, it's at, it's at home. They're they play us very tough at home. Um, and it's going to be a tough test for us. Jason, anything you, you know, yeah, I was going to say, uh, you know, the thing about State is um, they are, I think they are capable of getting hot and, and, and shooting you out of a game a little bit, especially Ralston Turner. Um, that guy is capable of, of putting up a 30-point game. That's what he did against Tennessee. Um, he, he and Trevor Lacey can get hot from outside and, and take over a game on the offensive end of the floor. And, and that's, you know, that's a big deal because um, – in basketball, defense can only do so much um, if a guy is really, really hot and really, really on. Um, I, I, I agree that sort of like uh, you know us getting um, Wake after they played Louisville, it's nice that we're getting NC State a few days after they play UVA, who who is a, a, another tough physical defensive team. Um, uh, I, I really wonder about State. They're 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 an up and down kind of team. Um, you know, a few days ago they lost. Cincinnati by 16 points. Um, since he's a, a good, team, you know, probably a tournament team, but 16 points is a pretty bad loss. They turn around a few days later, just yesterday, and they beat Pitt by 18 points. Um, so, are we going to have to play the NC State that lost to Cindy by 16? The NC State that lost to Wofford? The NC State that lost to Purdue? Or are we gonna, are we going to play the NC State? that beat Tennessee pretty soundly or, or the one that beat Pitt by 18 yesterday. Uh, you can't tell what state you're going to get. Um, and, and that concerns me because playing at home um, in, uh, you know, in, in an environment where their fans are going to be geeked up like nothing ever. Um, yeah, you know, you really wonder uh, maybe, maybe this is, this is certainly be, you know, the toughest game we've had in a little while. 
by the way, I'll point out one other thing. Um, uh, it'll be the biggest four or five days for NC State season. Three days after they play us, they have another home game against uh, UNC. Um, the home games against Duke and UNC are the biggest thing that happened to NC State every few years. And to get them back-to-back -back like this, um, those guys are going to be geeked up like nothing ever for both of those games. Um, the one thing that I see with NC State that, that I think is leads to their volatility that you point out is that they do like shooting threes. Um, they've got three guys that are that have pretty good three-point shooting percentages in Lacey Turner and then Kyle Washington. Um, so uh, I'm gonna I'm interested to see the way that we defend, the way that they move the ball around the perimeter. Um, you know, I, I think that our our strength this year um, has probably been more on the offensive end, and maybe we haven't seen a team that has the other than maybe Wisconsin um, that has the sort of offensive. Um, potential of this NC State team. So, uh, yeah, I think, I think that uh, Wake Forest game uh, is, a, is a game against a team that really is not going places in the ACC this year. But NC State could make some noise. Um, they have the talent to, to ratchet it up and turn themselves into, a, um, into an at-large bid. One thing I want to add about NC State is um, this is going to be a one-on-one -on -one defender kind of game. Um, State does not move the ball really well. Uh, one of the stats that jumped out at me um, is that they only get 10.9 assists per game. That ranks 293rd in college basketball. Um, uh, th so they're not at, and, I, and the times I've watched them play a little bit, um, you know, they're obviously they're passing the ball some, but they're not a team that's creating easy baskets for each other with passes. They're trying to break you down off the dribble. They're taking jump shots off the dribble and things like that. Uh, so uh, it's going to be a game where you need to stay in front of your man um, and, and, and make sure that your guy doesn't get hot. Um, and, and hopefully if we force them into difficult shots, um, we'll be able to, to control the game. But, um, uh, you know, it's not going to be a game where they, you know, you brought up Wisconsin, um, just in terms of another team that has good offensive, um, skill sets. Uh, it's not going to be like Wisconsin in that state's not going to pass the ball around nearly the way Wisconsin did. Yeah. Uh, so maybe we're looking for more Matt Jones and Rashid Suleiman time this week, uh, at least in that game. Great point. Yes, yes. Um, and then finally, uh, a topic that I left sort of nebulous for Jason. Um, looking around the rest of the ACC, do you have any thoughts about uh, other games going on this week, um, things you've seen so far, just general impressions from, from watching ACC basketball recently? Well, yeah, the team I want to talk a little bit about is Notre Dame. I watched them play Georgia Tech, um, a game they won in two overtimes. Um, and, and Tech got out to a big lead. It was something like 13-2 to two just a few minutes into that game. Notre Dame needed a win. Um, uh, they, their schedule coming up um, this week, they're at UNC, have a home game with UVA. Um, that, that's a pretty tough week for them. Um, and if they'd started out with a loss at home, to a second division team like Georgia Tech, um, they could have been looking at 0-3 conference, which obviously would be a really tough way to start and would derail what was starting to look like a, uh, a really you know, a really fine season for Mike Bray Bray's kids there at Notre Dame. Um, they, they turned it around. They, they came back. Um, it took them two overtimes to, to beat Georgia Tech. Um, uh, but that's a, that's a big win for them to, to come back and, and, and have that happen. This Notre Dame team is super efficient on offense. They move the ball really well. Um, they shoot, uh, incredibly well inside of three, uh, in the Georgia tech game, 
They shot better than 50% from the field, even though they were just four of 19 from three. Um, Duke's going to face Notre Dame twice in late January and early February. Uh, they are one of the teams that will be a real test for us because of their ability to be efficient on offense. They have a lot of different guys who can put the ball in the basket well for them. Um, I think they're a really interesting team to watch. And, and their two games this week, like I said, at UNC and their home game with UVA will, will do a lot, I think, to potentially begin to sort out the top tier of the ACC. There's potential there's potential for Notre Dame to join that very, very top tier, which most people think is Duke, UVA, Louisville, and UNC, um, uh, you know, and, and maybe Syracuse, although Syracuse to me is really starting to fall off in terms of comparison to the rest of the top of the ACC. Syracuse almost lost to Virginia Tech yesterday. I, I want to repeat that. Syracuse almost lost to Virginia Tech. And that's not a thing that tournament teams do ever. No, no. Now, now. Syracuse had a nice lead. Virginia Tech came back late, but still, Syracuse almost lost to Virginia Tech. Um, to me, right now, Notre Dame, UNC, UVA, Louisville are, are are unquestionably a step ahead of Syracuse. And so, like I say, I, I'm going to be looking at the, the the two games Notre Dame has this week to begin to tell a little bit about who's shaking out as the top contender um, alongside Duke in the ACC. Great, um, Donald. Any other thoughts about about the ACC this week? No, I, I I thought that uh, I was kind of as a Miami uh, alum. I was kind of sad to see uh, Miami kind of fall apart towards the end of overtime uh, against Virginia. Um, that's a big uh, that would have been a big win for them, especially with the way their season has been going the last couple of weeks. Um, would have been a major uh, win on their resume when it came time for the tournament. But uh, uh, hats off to Virginia for being resilient and just fighting and fighting and, and eventually pulling away in double overtime. Um, I thought that was kind of the, the game uh, of the week. But, uh, I mean, getting back to what Jace was saying about Syracuse, I mean, I, I think we can find five people wherever we are and beat, beat Virginia Tech. And so uh, Syracuse really has some issues, and, and I thought that they would have corrected them by now. But uh, it seems like they're getting, you know, more and more out of kilter, and it's kind of – uh, shocking to see uh, from a Syracuse team that's normally really tough. Um, but hopefully they will uh, uh, get it right and uh, uh, we'll probably be a tougher team once we see them later on in the season. That doesn't it always work out that way? It's always that way. We don't get Syracuse until late February. We have them twice in the back half of February. They're going to stink for all of January and then they're going to turn it around. That, that, that's just what happens. Yep. <laughs> it, 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 it's, it's, it's that spotlight baby. Um, they're going to, they're going to turn it on right when they see us showing up. Um, so anyway, thanks guys, um, for the look around the ACC. Uh, so we'll finish up this week, um, reviewing our, uh, discussion topics and also doing our player of the week. Let's start, uh, with our player of the week before we do the DBR discussion forum topic. Um, I think I know who folks are going to pick, but, uh, let me start with Jason. Who would you pick as your, uh, Duke player of the week for this week? Well, you know, in past weeks, I've tried to be a little bit of a contrarian and go, oh, we could have gone with the obvious guy, but I'm going to pick someone else. No, no, there's no one but Jalil Okafor, 26.3 points per game, eight rebounds per game, 2.3 blocks per game, 77% field goal shooting. Um, he's good. He's my player of the week. Donald? Yeah, well, I guess I could be the contrarian this week since uh, uh, Jalil has absolutely ran away with this one. Uh, I'm just going to go ahead and give some give some love to Quinn Cook. I mean, he had uh, a great week uh, by any standards. It, it, you know, 
he had 20 points against Toledo. He had 15 against Wofford, another 15 against BC. He's having so much fun out there, and he is really helping the team. Uh, even when there's a, a defensive lapse, he's right there to inject some fun back into the game. And he looks like he's having a blast out there. He is my player of the week that's not named Julio Okafor. I, I just want to, I mean, I, I think that Julio Okafor is our player of the week, but I wanted to give a special note to what I would say is the moment of the week, um, which would be Justice Winslow dunk the other day that uh, his breakaway dunk against Boston College that caused him to stare into the crowd for a second. Um, I was afraid that the folks sitting in the front row and camera were going to turn to stone uh, when that happened. I, I, was, I was terrified by the look on, on Justice Winslow's face. But I loved it. Uh, so, yeah, no, it was it was incredible. It kind of reminded me of that uh, of that Gerald Henderson dunk in the Maui Invitational a few years ago, where he spun around a couple times. Uh, very fun watching watching these guys who can who can get up above the rim. You know, uh, Winslow had Winslow had another great dunk against BC in traffic um, uh, about midway through the second half. That was um, one of those dunks that makes you ugly. Like you see it and you squench up your face so much because you're so shocked that that it makes you look ugly. Yeah, uh, he's he's got that talent to to make every to make everybody look ugly uh, on any given night. So uh, a real a real joy to watch. So we'll finish up uh, with our weekly discussion topic. Uh, last week we asked folks on the DBR forum to tell us who their favorite um, ACC team was outside of Duke, who they like to root for. Uh, the consensus that I kind of saw from combing through it was that a lot of folks like NC State and UVA, NC State because they are um, fellow haters of the baby blue uh, and UVA because they seem like they're just in a good place right now. They're playing really well. Um, people seem to like Tony Bennett's coaching style. I tend to agree. I I really like watching UVA. Uh, I think they've got a number of really interesting players. Um, I will note that Jason Evans was our lone uh, UNC supporter. I think that's uh, a result of you having a lot of family members who went there. Is that right? Yeah, so so let me explain. Um, first of all, I, I really enjoyed the fact that we that we added a poll um, so that um, even uh, folks who didn't necessarily write in their answer were able to vote in the poll. Um, and and you're right, uh, Virginia led the poll with 31.3 percent of the votes. Uh, NC State got 26.8, and, and with uh, almost 12 percent. Um, I was the lone person who voted for UNC, and let me explain why. Um, part of it is the fact that I have many, many family members who went to Carolina, and I grew up rooting for them until I began attending Duke. Um, but the other reason they're my favorite non-Duke ACC team is um, I get more out of watching them play because there's so much passion wrapped up in our feelings about UNC. And you can say that passion is hatred, but I think a lot of that passion is also respect. Um, and, uh, so the ACC team, when their game is on that, I tend to watch more than anyone else is UNC. If you look at the DBR boards, there are more threads about UNC than any other team in the ACC, probably by a factor of three or four or five to one, maybe more like 10 to one. Um, I've, I've mentioned in the past that I, I've lost a lot of respect for them due to, due to the horrendous scandal, um, uh, and, uh, you know, I said, I, I, I for a long time said I was a UNC fan. And by that, I meant that I thought it was good for Duke when UNC was good, that the rivalry we have 
feeds off of each other. And when we're both in the top five or top 10, we get more national attention and it's good for both programs when they're both healthy. And, and you know, I've lost a little bit of, of that desire because of the scandal and, and the awful, terrible things it says about Carolina. But I still pick them as my favorite non-Duke ACC team. They're the team I like to watch the most. Maybe it's because I'm rooting against them, but I'm still watching them. And, and because I think their success and our success are somewhat intertwined. Um, we're inexorably linked, even if it isn't a link that we may love each other, we're, 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 we're together. Um, and, and so that's why I picked them. Uh, Donald, I think I know who, who you chose, but if you wanted to expand on it. Yeah, so I went with Miami. Um, I went to law school uh, at the U, so naturally they are my a team that I, I want to see do well outside of Duke. Um, I, I don't root for them when they play Duke. Duke is above everything, but uh, I want them to basically beat down on everybody else uh, until they get to us. But uh, um, I, I still root for them in football as well. The same, it's the same going applies when they play uh, Duke every year. Um, it's, it's Duke above everything, but um, I want Miami to smash on everybody. And I, I want to add that I think the overall consensus of that poll was not on uh, one of the options, but it's uh, the ABC, anybody but Carolina. I think um, almost everybody, except for Jason, obviously, um, would uh, cheer for whoever is playing Carolina in the ACC at that at given moment. So um, I think that's obviously uh, the, the fable school that a lot of people will root for above anybody. Uh, you know, one thing. Yeah, certainly. <laughs> go, go ahead, Jason. I was going to say, one thing I want to add um, is I, I really like the fact that so many people voted for and mentioned UVA. Um, uh, I think there's, uh, you know, we have smart basketball fans on the DBR as we pat ourselves on the back here. Um, and, and I think folks are recognizing um, uh, how much they admire the way Virginia plays basketball, how much they like the way Tony Bennett coaches basketball, a focus on defense first, um, uh, which is something that, that Coach K uh, has always at least tried to do. Um, I don't know, in, in recent years, it feels like Duke's been more offensive than defensive, but for many, many years, Duke was built around tough, in-your-face, man-to-man defense, which is exactly what Virginia does. Um, so I, I really like the fact that we had so many good posters say nice things about uh, Virginia. Great. Um, so looking ahead to this week, we've got a new discussion topic. Um, the DBR forum member Lubberch, I don't know if I'm pronouncing your um, forum name correctly, but Lubberch actually uh, hit uh, on what we were going to be discussing this week. So because we did everybody's uh, second most favorite ACC team this week, we'll turn it around and say, who's the team sort of other than UNC that you dislike the most uh, or sort of have an irrational um, dislike for? Uh, and, and we'll open it up to saying it could be an ACC team or it could be across the country. Don't tell us that you that you don't like Kentucky or Connecticut or Maryland. Um, I think we I think we hashed through those a number of times. But uh, who's a team that you don't like and and why? Uh, I'm I'm curious to see what kind of answers we get because I I know we've got uh, Duke fans all over the country who who weigh in on the forum. Um, so we'll see about that. Um, so uh, we'll uh, I think we've gone plenty long now. We'll wrap it up for this week. Uh, any closing thoughts, uh, Jason? Uh, no, no, you've done a fine job. I'll, I'll, I'll merely close by saying um, it was a good new year. I, I really enjoyed watching uh, Duke basketball this past week. Um, and uh, God, I, I can't wait to see what this team continues to develop into. Um, uh, like I said, I've got my Duke blinders on, but I, I feel like I'm more excited about this Duke team and the way they play and, and their ability to 
to, to do things in a variety of different ways at both ends of the floor than I have been in, in quite a while. Um, and that's a nice thing. Excellent. And Donald? Uh, with yesterday's win, I believe Coach K is now at 996 wins. Four wins to 1,000, guys. Uh, yeah, the, uh, as I've been pointing out, the, the Coach K 1,000 hype machine is, is now turning into full gear as we, as we get closer to 1,000. Um, so, yeah, I'm, I'm very excited to see, to see that, that discussion continue. Um, and, so and for all of us, we all, yeah. We all know 1,000, if things go as expected, at Wake, at NC State, Miami, three games that we probably should win, number 1,000 will be potentially at Louisville on January 17th. That game is going to be hyped. That game is going to be hyped. Massive. We are, and, and, and undoubtedly will be treated to many replays of Christian Leitner's shot during the game. So, uh, anyway, for... Why? Uh, Why? <laughs> well, we've got, we've got Rick Pitino on the other side of the floor. Oh, okay. All right. Sorry. I was, I was in a Kentucky frame of mind. Yes. Yes. You are correct, sir. Um, so, uh, uh, anyway, uh, thanks for listening, everybody. Uh, for Donald Wine and Jason Evans, I'm Sam Klein. Uh, we appreciate you tuning into the Duke Basketball Report podcast, and we will talk to you next week.